This morning, uh, we are going to continue in our study through the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 2, so if you would please open up there. That's where we're going to be today. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can grab one of the Bibles on your row. We're going to be on page 984 in there. Now, just to, to catch you up a little bit, if, if you were not here this past week or you're serving in kids, uh, basically what we did last week when we started in Colossians chapter 2 is we talked about how a, a firm faith in Christ rejects worldly wisdom and philosophy. And, and the reason we talked about that is because the Colossians were under attack from false teachers that were coming at them from, from all different angles. Worldly philosophy was just one of them. But, but in this particular instance, there were people coming to them that were espousing these philosophical ideas that, that may have even said, look, it's, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but when it comes to understanding what is truth, what is meaning, what is our purpose for existence, why do we get up in the morning and shave our legs and put our pants on and go to work and parent and do all the rest of that, like why do we do all of that? The answer cannot be found in, in God. You have to look to the world around you to define those things, and so that was the, that was the, the thought that, that was prevalent in their, their day, which was, was this philosophy that was so rampant, Greek philosophy and Jewish philosophy and Roman philosophy and, and all of these things supposedly telling you what's right, what's wrong, what you're supposed to do. And we were reminded as we looked at the scriptures together that ultimately all of those things are, are just empty lies. They're like a hot air balloon. It, it looks big, it looks daunting, it looks full, but inside it's, it's totally empty of substance. There's nothing there to sink your teeth into. And so the, the reason we did that and the reason we talked about that, the reason we, we began this discussion is because the, the risk and the, and the danger that we have when we start basing our beliefs and our understanding of truth off of things other than Jesus and his word, which is our ultimate source of truth, is that it, it can create this kind of syncretism or a, a fusion, a blending of beliefs that, that may have, right, that may have Jesus as a piece, but then has added in so many other things that, that conflict with this truth that Jesus is supreme, that it ends up leading to a deflated and powerless faith. And so the encouragement we began last week is to, to recognize and see the, the pitfalls and the traps that can ensnare us so that we can cast those things aside and remain firm in Christ. And so this week, as we approach Colossians chapter 2, we're going to continue in the same vein of thinking, looking at verses 16 through 23, because we're going to see this morning even more false doctrines or ideas that aim to derail the centrality of Jesus to our faith, except this time we're, we're moving past the, the lies and the philosophies promoted by the world and instead the, the lies that are more subtle, the lies that are more subtle, that, that are easier, I think, perhaps even for us to fall into because they're lies veiled in religion and holiness. But we'll see even in this instance that once again, however you package the lies and the deceitfulness of the world, all of them are to be rejected because Christ has triumphed over them. So take a look at Colossians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to read through the entire passage and then we'll go back and continue to look at it 
little bit by little bit this morning. Starting in verse 16, it says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Take a look back at verses 16 and 17 with me. The first thing I want us to see this morning from the text is to to not fall into, don't fall into the trap of culture over Christ. What do I mean by that? So the issue that Paul is talking about here when we look at, at, at chapter 16 is a, is a common issue that was dealt with in the early church. If you have read through your Bible and your New Testament, you've likely seen this in a number of different places. And, and it's, it's this idea of, okay, what, what do Jewish believers in Christ do with all of these Old Testament laws and observances and, and rituals and things that they've done, which makes sense, right? Like if you're, if you're a Jew and you're, you're born in AD 2 and you grow up your entire life following the law, following the rules, following all of the Old Testament um, regulations that are out there, and then Jesus shows up and says, hey, I fulfilled the law and the prophets. And you come to understand that and you place your faith in him and you begin to walk in him and, 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 and you, you begin to realize that all of the things that you've done your entire life were just echoes pointing to the reality of the one that you're following and yet it's informed the way that you eat and it's informed your calendar and it's informed the way that you socialize with other people and you're looking at someone and going, man, I don't know if I can eat that anymore because I, I know that, that Jesus says that I can, but, but I grew up my entire life thinking that I, I was going to be in sin if I did that. Like, I don't know what to do with that. And so you, you, you can't just turn that off all of a sudden because you become a follower of Christ. And so this is a challenge that they're dealing with. And, and then you've got other angles to this, this side of the story as well, right? You've got Jews outside of the church who were saying, well, Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus upheld the law, so clearly if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to follow everything else that, that he did. You should care about upholding the law. And then you also have Jewish converts who maybe wrestle with these convictions and, 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 and different levels of freedom, and you know they're trying to figure out what to do, and, 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 and they don't know what they should do now that they're in Christ. And, and so what's Paul's instruction? What is Paul's instruction here as it relates to these things? He doesn't say that these issues of, of food and drink or festivals or new moons or Sabbath are incompatible. He doesn't say that they're unimportant. He simply says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you with regard to these things. You know, several years ago, I was at a baseball game uh, with some students, and a guy came up to me, and he was just like, hey, man, you're in the wrong seats. 
Like, has that ever happened to you, right? So maybe this is just a, a part of me, but in that moment, there isn't this internal panic like, oh, I made a mistake. I'm like, I'm right. I know I'm in the right seats. So, you know, I'm like fumbling, and he was being nice about it too, so he wasn't like, hey, dude, you're in my seats. So, so I'm fumbling through my pockets, trying to, you know, pull out tickets and all the rest of that stuff, and I'm sitting there just going, I'm in the right section, I'm in the right seat, you know. You know. So I finally get it out and, and, and show it to him, and I'm like, look, dude, see the ticket, right? That's the section, this is the row, these are the seat numbers, I'm in the right spot. And he's just like, oh, yeah, my bad, I'm supposed to be over there. And I'm like, right, right? So, I mean, look, it... It was a harmless situation, but here's a guy who's trying to pass judgment on me and say, you're wrong, and I'm in the right, and I'm sitting there going, look, man, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. I'm not getting up and moving because I know very clearly that I'm in the right spot. I also know that because I've got like 10, 15-year-olds with me, and I had to make sure... I, used to be a student pastor, right? Had to make sure to get all of them in there and like, okay, we're not going to the store. No, you're not buying a, a 40-ounce Coca-Cola. Like, no, just stop. Just come sit down, right? I knew we were in the right spot, okay? I haven't done anything wrong. I know I'm in the right spot, okay? Whether you take my word for it or not, bought the tickets, I'm in the right seat. Like, don't pass judgment on me. And that's the idea, although a silly example, it's an idea of what Paul is getting at here. He says, look, if you're a Jew and your convictions don't allow you to eat certain foods, even though in Christ there are no more clean or unclean foods, that's fine. This is, this is not an issue of right or wrong. So if someone tells you you're wrong, you're not. Same thing with festivals, right? Don't let someone pass judgment on you for your conviction over those things. And it goes the other direction as well. If you're in Christ and you're Jewish and you're like, Heck, yes, I'll eat bacon and work on Saturdays. That sounds awesome. And stop these religious festivals. Every time we do, we've got to get together with my in-laws, and I don't even like them, right? No more festivals. He's like, that's fine as well. If someone tries to show up and tell you you're not being faithful or you're in sin, then don't accept that as judgment. Or if you're in Christ and you're not Jewish and someone is telling you that in order to be a faithful Christian, you have to follow all of these Old Testament laws and festivals or you're in the wrong. Don't be judged by that because in Christ, these are no longer requirements for righteousness. So don't let someone pass judgment on you for something that isn't being used to judge you before the Father. Because as we see in verse 17, what does it say? It says, these are just a shadow of things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. The point that, that, that is being made here, the point in saying that these are a shadow of things to come is that these days, these festivals, these diets that, that the Jews followed and that were taught and that the Old Testament speaks about, what, what they were designed to do, the reason that they were created was to show the Jews about God's holiness and about God's purity and about God's creation and about God's power, but they were just the shadows because now Jesus shows up and he shows us what the power of God is and he shows us what the holiness of God looks like and he shows up and he shows us God's power 
to create. Think about the miracles of Jesus turning water into wine, walking on water, telling the wind and the waves to stop and calm down, taking bread and, and, and fish and multiplying them. Jesus showcases for us God's incredible ability to create out of nothing and to harness power over all creation. Jesus shows us what the purpose of the Sabbath is, which is not to strictly adhere to no work, but to rest and reflect upon God and his work. And so all of these things, their meaning and their fulfillment are found in Jesus. So what is food then? What is drink then? What are festivals then at this point? They're preferences. Don't let someone pass judgment on you for these things. These are preferences. Do they matter? They do. If in your conscience you can't do these things, don't do them. But, but it's, it's culture. It's background. It's upbringing. And so the warning is don't get so caught up. You know, Colossian church, don't get so caught up in, in the comfort of rituals or your tribe or your culture or your upbringing that you confuse them as a necessary step to the path of righteousness versus understanding that Christ alone is our righteousness. That's it. He alone is our sole remedy to sin. He's our only hope to be acceptable to God. And so you might be sitting there this morning saying, well, that, that's good and well, Chris. I appreciate that, but all of this discussion doesn't apply to me. I'm not Jewish, right? We're not, we're not dealing with having people show up here on a Sunday morning at C3 and go, well, why aren't you guys following the Old Testament dietary laws? How come you guys aren't doing festivals and, and customs? So where's the risk in all of that for me? Help me make sense of that. Well, the, the issue here, and, and again, the reason that Paul is bringing this up is because there is this bleed over from Jewish culture and background and rules to standards and, and, and things that they've done that were causing them to override or stand alongside with equal value and equal merit to their faith in Jesus. Right, do you see that? That, that, that they, they can't escape this old way of programming, they can't escape their culture, they can't escape their background to realize that they've been liberated from those things to be free in Jesus. And we today as people can do the exact same thing, can't we? Take our affiliations, our culture, our cultural preferences, our backgrounds, our history, and how right and, and normal those things feel to us and get them to the point where they even become confused with, with gospel issues themselves. We see this all around us, don't we? Not judging people based on the righteousness of Christ and whether or not they are in him, but also adding to it. Look, it's good enough that you're in Christ, and, and, and you know, like, I, I get that, but, but do, you, do you vote the right way? Do you go to the right church? Do you have the right schooling preference for your kids? Are you in the right tax bracket? Do you have the right dress code? And in many cases, these are, these are amoral issues, right? Where we get into trouble, like, like the Colossian church did with confusing culture over Christ is that you end up adding these superfluous ideas and things to the gospel that, that are not standards of righteousness. And so you end up with people who say things like, you can't be a Christian and vote this way. You can't be a Christian and put your kids in that kind of a school. 
You can't be a, a Christian and drink alcohol, or you can't be a Christian and, and listen to that kind of music, or you can't be a good Christian parent and have your kids dress that way or watch those kinds of movies. You can't be a part of this kind of a church, and you can't be in that kind of a doctrinal group, and, and if you do, you're in sin, and you're lesser of a Christian. And look, where we land on some of these things matter, right? They really do. There are issues in all of these areas that the Bible speaks to, that God's word speaks to, and what we believe about them matter. God's word speaks to how we raise our children, and God's word speaks to issues of government and life and politics and things that should affect who we vote for on all levels. And God's word speaks to how we dress and what we put into our mind and how we use things like alcohol, which are gifts given to us by God, but so easily abused in our culture. But we have to be careful that we don't make our preferences or our culture or the fact that we live in the South and we live in an area where it's so easy to be religious and moral without loving Jesus become the standard of righteousness versus being found in Jesus. That's what the Colossians were dealing with. We still deal with that today. We have to be careful that these things that are part of our background or our culture don't become barometers faithfulness to Jesus. Second thing I want to point out to you this morning, you look back at verses 18 and 19, is this going on, Paul, Paul is going to say from that, he's going to build on this, he's going to say don't fall into the trap of spiritualism and man-made religion. What do I mean by that? Look back at verses 18 and 19 with me. He's just come off of, of this idea of, of, of not letting someone pass judgment on you by your your adherence to things which are part of your, your background, your culture. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together grows with a growth that is from God. One of the issues that we've talked about as we've been studying through Colossians together is that there was, there was this this belief in asceticism and, and the worship of angels that was taking place in, in this time in the, in the area around Colossae. It was part of these pagan religious ideologies that would say, you know, hey, we're, we're not good enough to go to God, right? In our flesh, as human beings, as people who are not divine, we're not good enough to go to God. So we've got to settle for something far less. And so we should seek to worship angels or, or try to worship spiritual beings or we have to try to find ways to connect with the divine in intangible ways around us that we, we, we actually can reach because to, to go to God is so far beyond our ability. We must settle for the divine that we can reach out and touch right in front of us. And so, so what would happen with these people who, who were in this kind of way of thinking is that they would discipline themselves and they would act in humility and they would go, oh, I'm so, I'm so unworthy and I'm so, I'm so incapable of going to God and so I'm gonna just be pious and I'm gonna be 
right and I'm going to try to do all of these things that make me look holy. If, if only I could just get a glimpse of the divine. If I could only just have a little taste of the sacred, that's, that's all I need. And so they would go on and on about visions that they've had of ways that they've conceived of and, and experienced the divine that, that purportedly validated their, their spirituality and so forth. And that's what you see here, right? They're, they're these people who are just strictly living their lives and, and worshiping spiritual things and spiritual beings and going on about visions and things that they've experienced. But it's ultimately man-made religion, right? When your spirituality is based on your experience, your visions, your quest for truth about God because God is everywhere and the divine is everywhere and it's just a matter of disciplining yourself to see the sacred all around you, then what's actually true? No one experiences the world like you. No one else can see the things that you see through your eyes. There are no rules to guide you or absolute truth that you must submit to because you hold the keys to all that is spiritual within your own personal experience. What does the Bible say about that? Verse 18, it says, look, that's being puffed up for no reason with ideas in your mind. Listen, this is, a, this is nothing new under the sun. This, this still takes place today. It, if you were to leave here and drive over to the Woodlands Mall and go to Barnes & Noble and go to the religious section, you are gonna run out of no options to find self-help and astrology and channeling energy and seeking self-help and mystery to connect with the divine in the world around you that, that says, look, God can't be known, but there are spiritual and sacred things all around us that if we could just open up our eyes, we could see things that no one else around us can see but it's all a figment of imagination. Depends on what you accept and what you think, and at its core, who does it serve? It serves, it serves you. It makes you feel better about yourself. It lets you be in charge of your spiritual journey rather than being grounded in the unchanging truth of Scripture. It surpasses time and surpasses generations and opinions and cultures. But that's not even what, what is so damaging about that mentality. Look at what verse 19 says. The root issue at all of this is ultimately that this spiritualistic, man-made religious experience is not holding fast to the head. Who do we see back in Colossians chapter 1 is the head? It's the head of the church. Who's the head over all things? Who is supreme over all things? divine or sacred or spiritual that could exist out there in the universe. It's Jesus, remember? In him the fullness of deity exists. There is no divine, deity, sacred, spiritual truth out there that Jesus is sharing with anybody. He's the fullness of it all. 
And so to, to settle for something or to go on a, a, a journey quest to find what is true out there and to experience the divine, if it doesn't land at Jesus, it's fake, it's false. And it doesn't bring life and truth and meaning and purpose and it doesn't ultimately paint a picture for us of who God is and who we are in light of it. It all ultimately has to point to Jesus. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the completeness of what it means to know and experience God and then to understand how we live. And so it's dangerous to to dabble in these spiritualistic things and these man-made religions, Paul is saying, because anything that gets you thinking that you're experiencing what is spiritually true, if it's not connected to the head, is ultimately a lie that will not give you what it promises. And so whether it's an external falsehood like a godless philosophy that we saw last week or whether it's an internal falsehood created by the narrative that you create in your own mind, our call is believers. And we'll see this next week when we get into Colossians chapter three is to set our minds on the things above, right? Set our minds on things above. Don't look to the culture around you. Don't look at the philosophies around you. Don't look at the spiritual experiences of people who go on and on about the things that they're experiencing as though that should be where you focus. Set your minds on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this this setting your mind on things above and, and rejecting the lies outwardly and inwardly, that doesn't just apply to false doctrine either, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, think about it as well. Good encouragement for us this morning that even our own thoughts, right? We're talking about let no one disqualify you by all of these other things that are going on, but don't be personally disqualified because you say to yourself, I've sinned too much for God to love me. I've been out of the word too long to get back in. God just tolerates me. He doesn't really love me. I'm just a burden to him. Just like these people that we're being reminded of in in Colossians that are trying to distract believers in Jesus from understanding their security and their need to follow him, we can distract ourselves and our security in Jesus by believing these lies internally that take our appraisal of ourselves and elevate it above Christ's appraisal, appraisal of us. So set our minds on the things above. The last thing I want us to see this morning as we finish up looking at Colossians chapter two is this. Don't fall into the trap of legalism and performance. Don't fall into the trap of legalism and performance. Look back at verses 20 through 23. It says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What Paul is saying here is, is that we have to be careful not to fall into a pattern of external, outward, religious behavior that is ultimately not connected to Christ. Behavior that focuses on withholding 
or self-made rules and regulations that are in the vein of righteousness, but rob us of the freedom that we have in Jesus. Because that's ultimately what legalism is, right? It's extra superfluous rules for our conduct or our behavior that go beyond what the Bible says we really must do, and then a belief that if we don't then do those things or other people don't do those things, then somehow that's sin. I can give you far too many stories and examples of legalism than I care to tell you. I'm I'm sure if you were in a similar position this morning trying to, to communicate about legalism, you could as well, and many of them are just sad because instead of enjoying the life and the freedom that we should have in Jesus to follow his word and be found in him, people have gone and and made a shipwreck of their faith and other people's faith by promoting all of these things that are extra biblical. And so rather than tell you a sad story, I'll tell you a funny story. How about that, right? When I was in college, I had a really silly argument with a friend of mine. We were both looking at, at housing options for the next year. We weren't living on campus anymore. We, we were out, um, you know, in, in houses and apartments and different things like that. And so we're talking about what we're going to do, and I was really shocked to find out. I was talking with him. He says, yeah, I already found a place. Really? Tell me about it. He's just like, it's this really run-down place outside of town. And he's like smiling, telling me about it, and I'm going, something doesn't compute here. Like, I don't know anybody who's really jazzed about living in a place that could probably be condemned. So help me understand what's going on here. And he goes on. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to get rid of a ton of my stuff. Okay. Yeah. Like super minimal living. Okay. Yeah. It's in the hood. I'm like, all right. Whatever. Like, help me under, like, help me understand why you're doing this, right? Because you were living in these swanky college apartments over here. Like, what, what is the thinking here? And so he goes, look, man, Jesus calls us to suffer and to do hard things for him. So, naturally, I need to go live in a place that no one else would go live in. I'm like, I don't, like, I, I, okay, so let, let me just backtrack here for a second. You need to live into a place that likely needs to be condemned because you think that Jesus wants you to suffer for his sake. Yeah. I mean, look, dude, if that sounds like fun for you and you want to go choose to live in that rundown house, that's totally fine. If you want to give up your stuff, look, I'm taking donations. You've got a great guitar. You've got some great sunglasses. You and I wear the same shoe size, and those are great shoes. I'll take your Frisbee. It's like, whatever you want to give up, man, I'll take it, but I think that this is a massive miss for you. That is not what Jesus is calling you to do. This is some made-up rule that you have in your mind. Like, what are you, like, where does the line of this end? Is it, like, is it suffering for Jesus to have to drive to college? Are you going to just walk five miles? Like, where does this end, man? This doesn't make any sense. And he just wouldn't give up the fight. So we went back and forth for, gosh, it was like an hour, and finally turned into him going like, you obviously need to reconsider your commitment to follow Jesus, Chris. And I'm like, cool, all right, sounds good. I'm gonna go back to my air, condi- like, does your place have air conditioning? Like, my place has air conditioning, right? Come over when you need to use a, an oven to cook food, right? Like, if you need a fridge, 
come over to my place. Like, I'll just keep all your stuff here. You can swing by when you're walking back from, from campus to your, uh, your little shanty there, right? Um, so this isn't even in the Bible, dude. This is a rule that you've made up, that you're believing is somehow making you more spiritual, and it's not. It's crazy, right? So that's a funny story, but, but many of us have been on the opposite side of that. Either personally, we've been exposed to legalistic tendencies by other people, or we've promoted them ourselves, or, 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 or some combination of those things, and, and that's the trap here. Paul is, is saying, look, Christ has freed you from these elemental ways of living in the world where you submit to these rules that are about modifying your behavior to somehow appear more holy without doing anything to address your heart condition. So you can create strict rules for yourself to rein in behavior or practice overtly religious discipline or make sure that you're not doing anything outwardly that would disqualify you. But what does verse 23 say? These things do nothing to address the indulgence of the flesh. Why? Because there's a difference between changing your behavior because other people are watching and having your behaviors change because Christ has changed your desires. Say that again. There's a difference between changing your behavior because people are watching and having your behavior change because inside Christ has changed your desires for what you want to do and how you want to act and how you want to speak and what you want to prioritize and how you want to use your time and what you want to value and what you want to watch and what you want to care about. And listen, this is not saying throw off the reins and do whatever you want to do. Is it? Religious, religious actions, these things we do, living holy, living right, putting constraints on ourselves when, when we do have issues of the flesh that, that want to trap us and ensnare us and, and trip us up. Are those things bad? Is it, is it wrong to live outwardly, visibly, holy, righteously? No, of course not. But what's the motivation behind those things? Is it to appease people around you so that they don't realize what a massive sinner you are? Guess what? They are too. I am too. I'm not fooling any of you by living a holy life that is disconnected from Jesus. Anything good in me that comes out is ultimately a reflection of him. For me to try to add to that is just crazy. I'm fooling myself. And listen, you know this, but, but our religious actions too, going to church, reading our Bibles, praying, giving, these are all good and right and important things to do. But if they're just a religious facade without any real heart behind them, or if they're being done because you sit back and you say, man, if I don't read my Bible and I don't pray and I don't go to church and I don't give and I don't serve, then I will never be acceptable to God. Instead of saying, no, I do all of those things as a response to the fact that I am accepted by him. 
and I am acceptable to him. And I was accepted by him and acceptable to him long before I had any ability to do religious good. Then you end up in a pit of legalism or being like Pharisees who are outwardly religious people but are inwardly no different, wrapped up in religious rules without knowing and honoring God. And, and the legalist or the, the Pharisee, look, these are not bad people. I've been a legalist. I've, I've lived my life steeped in my own rules for following Jesus. And it wasn't meant to, to be mean, and it wasn't meant to distract me from following Jesus truly. It wasn't bad. You wouldn't have met me at that time in my life and been like, you're a bad person. Or people are, are bad spouses or parents or neighbors or citizens. It's just misguided thinking that says life is to be found in dutiful obedience to the rules instead of in the giver of life himself, who then informs everything we do. And so Paul's encouragement don't fall into the same trap. Don't fall into the same trap of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. That have the appearance of wisdom, but at the core have done nothing to change internally the fleshly desires to sin because they're not being informed by Christ. We have to sniff out and submit to Christ in those areas of our life where we're just performing actions with nothing behind it. We have to consider areas in our life where we're coming up with extraneous rules and legalistic tendencies that rob us of enjoying the freedom that Christ gave us. Because listen, the risk inherent in religious performance and legalism is that you end up relying on your work and your righteousness instead of the work and the righteousness Jesus. And not only do the first two chapters of Colossians show us how glorious it is to rest in the work and the righteousness of Jesus, but that is the echo and the theme of the whole Bible that none of us on our own could ever be good enough or follow enough rules or constrain our behavior enough to be pleasing to God. It only comes because Jesus himself was pleasing to God. Jesus was righteous enough to be pleasing to the Father. Jesus lived the life of perfection that we never could. And so we hope in him. We trust in his sacrifice on our behalf. We plead before the Father, not our own righteousness in our own work, but we stand before the Father someday and we say, all of my hope is in Jesus' work on my behalf. There's nothing I can bring that is of any worth or value. I cling to Jesus. And the good news this morning is that for thousands and thousands of years and for thousands of years forward, that will always be sufficient. Will always be sufficient. So where do we end this entire discussion that we started last week about these different pitfalls and traps that can ensnare us? I want to submit to you this morning, and then we're done, that it's right where we started. The answer, when our faith is pressed, whether it's from philosophies and empty deceit, whether it's from people who would try to pass judgment on us because of culture, 
background, rules, spirituality, man-made religion, legalism. The answer when our faith is pressed is not to search for what is right and true by looking inwardly or outwardly, but by looking upwardly. Rooted and built up right where we started, Colossians 2.7, in him. In Christ, just as we were taught, abounding in thankfulness. Let's pray. Father, what a great truth it is to be able to sit back as your people and say, I will do no better today, tomorrow, next week, next month, than to simply be found in Jesus. And so I pray, Father, as, as, we, as we think about what that means, as we think about our lives, as we wrestle day by day with living our lives and seeking to please you and, and seeking to do what is good and right and holy, I pray that we would do that knowing that our security in doing those things is found in Jesus. And so that frees us as people to set our mind forward and, and toward the things above, to not be thrown off by bad days and bad weeks and bad seasons, but to remember that we have freedom in Jesus who has qualified us, as we saw in Colossians chapter one, qualified us to enjoy an inheritance along with the saints to just live freely and wonderfully out of that secure salvation that we have in him. Would you help us to cling fast to that this week as we go from this place and we live our lives before you. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.